Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord this morning? Amen, amen. And it's good to see everyone that is here. Amen. Good to have our visitors from up north as well. Praise the Lord. Welcome. God bless you. And it's good to be in God's house. Thank you for those of you who were in prayer this morning. And um, as a church over the next week, let's continue to um, keep our friends in the Ukraine in prayer. Amen. Let's continue to keep our churches in Russia in prayer as well. Amen. And let's continue, of course, to also pray for our own country with the floods that have been happening down south. Um, you know, we've been blessed in that it hasn't really happened too much up here, which is good. But you know, the town that I grew up, didn't grow up in, the town that I lived in for four or five years um, in Lismore, there's even talk of them perhaps not rebuilding it or it's just, it's the highest flood, like two or three meters higher than it's ever been. The, you know, the shopping center I heard down there where I used to get my groceries from, it's built up two stories. It's built on a second story. The underground is all car parks and it's all built up because of floods. But all those shops went underwater. Like it went up two stories high, the water. The McDonald's, which is built on a second story, wiped out. So it's pretty, um, pretty amazing. Um, not amazing, it's probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean. It's just kind of mind-boggling um, that that much destruction has happened. So we need to keep them in prayer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, today we're going to start a new series in Life Class, and it's called Living Sacrifice. You'll know from the beginning of the year, I kind of said that um, my overarching theme for the whole of this year is really about discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, amen, and what it means to follow Jesus and what effect that should have on our life, amen, because we cannot be a disciple just in words. Hello? Hello? We can't just say, oh, yes, yes, I'm a disciple, but not have it change our life. Our, our life ought to reflect something different, amen. The Bible tells us that when the elders spoke to Peter and the other apostles after the day of Pentecost, it says they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. The fact that they were disciples of Jesus showed out in a meaningful way, amen. And so this new series we're talking about is talking about being a living sacrifice, and that's that's really what being a disciple is about. It's about being a living sacrifice. You know, it's this idea that because Jesus gave his life for us as a sacrifice for our sins, we have to be a living sacrifice as well, amen? And we have to apply his blood to our life, amen? And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, amen? If you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 19. Just going to move this back just a tad. Hebrews chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Just a couple of verses today. Give you a couple minutes to turn there. Did I say 19? Yeah, Hebrews 19. Got you all, didn't I? Hebrews chapter 9. <laughs> it's because it's 13 and 14, so I just kind of added the teen on the 9, 19. There's no Hebrews 19, Pastor? Yes, yes, special new doctrine today. 
special Bible. That's it. Hebrews chapter 9. This is the one where it commends you in chapter 19 to love your pastor unconditionally. I'm sure that's what it says. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. All right. Say amen when you're there. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. It says this, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purging your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We are called to serve a living God. Amen? Amen. I want you to just imagine with me for a second. Who here likes to eat lamb? I like lamb. Imagine the smell of roasted lamb mixed with some herbs as it lingered in the air. The Israelites were eating roasted lamb that night, and they were waiting in their houses. What they were waiting for, they weren't 100% sure. All they knew is that their elders had told them, you have to get a lamb, and you have to roast it, and you have to eat it. Okay, we can handle that. But then the elders said, but we want you to do it, while you're dressed, as if you were going to go on a journey. We want you to eat standing up, okay? We want you to eat with your shoes on your feet. We want you to eat with your staff in your hand. And that's how you are to eat this roasted lamb. And if that wasn't strange enough, the instruction that came next was even stranger to the Israelites because... They were wearing their clothes. There was a familiarity with their clothes. They were used to eating lamb. But then the elders said to them, don't just throw away the blood from the lamb. But we want you to get the blood from the lamb. And we want you to put a strip on the right post and a strip on the left post. And across the lintel, put some more of that lamb's blood. And as the children of Israel were in their homes having, eating, while eating the lamb, waiting for midnight, wondering what was going to happen, somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody would have heard a cry in the night. And perhaps they would have looked at each other and sort of thought, I wonder what's, what's that sound? But that sound would have been joined by another one just a few moments later. And then another one. And they realized it was somebody screaming and somebody crying. And another one joins. And it gets louder and louder and louder until it feels like everybody around them is screaming and crying and shouting out in grief. Because as the Lord had warned, the destroyer had come and was killing all the firstborn of every house of Egypt. The final plague was being unleashed on a nation that had refused to let God's people grow. The cries sprung forth from anguished mothers and fathers as they held their beloved firstborn 
who was not going to see the morning light. And the Bible tells us that it came from the poorest house all the way to Pharaoh's own firstborn child. I can imagine that Pharaoh, as any parent would be, was completely broken by this. And as he no doubt screamed at his servants, get me Moses and Aaron now. I don't care that it's midnight. Get them for me now. And Moses and Aaron came in and I imagine that Pharaoh would have just been a wreck and he would have screamed at them, get out. Get out of my country. Get out of my towns. Just get out. And so the word went out to the Israelite camp and to the Israelite homes. It's time to go. And the Bible says that as they went, they spoiled the Egyptians because they asked their neighbors, they said, give us some gold. Give us some fine clothes. Give us your silver. Give us, give us some stuff that we need for our journey. And no doubt these Egyptian families would have just been throwing their gold at them. Get out of our country. We don't want you here anymore. You have destroyed our nation. You have destroyed our crops. You have destroyed our economy. And you have destroyed my family. Get out. And as the children of Israel left, perhaps they were still wondering as they walked away into the darkness, looking back at the house that had been their house for many, many years, that dark smear of blood across the posts and the lintels of the door was what stood them apart from the houses of the Egyptians. It was the blood that had saved their lives. It was the blood that marked them as different from everybody else around them. From the very first to the very last, the story of the Israelites' deliverance from Egyptian slavery was God's work on their behalf. For 400 years, the children of Israel had been in slavery, and the Bible tells us that they groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out to help, and that cry came up before God. The Bible says that God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And as with everything that God does, even in our lives today, as with everything, God worked out their deliverance according to His counsel and to His will, and according to His plan and at the right time, which of course we know is God's time. God remembered that He had a covenant, and He set in place a plan to free His people from slavery. To fulfill his plan, the Bible tells us that God raised up Moses and Aaron to lead his people. The Lord sent them to Pharaoh with a message. The message said, Thus says the Lord, Israel, my child, is my firstborn. Therefore, let him go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. With the life of his son in the balance, Pharaoh was unmoved, almost tragically unmoved, because he said, who is the Lord that I should let his people go and that I should obey him? I don't know the Lord, neither will I let his people go. And through those ten plagues, Pharaoh came to know the Lord. And that acquaintance with an almighty God left his kingdom shattered and begging Moses and Aaron to let his people go. 
Through many powerful signs and wonders, God saved his people. See, the truth of the matter is, is they could never have saved themselves. For four centuries they had been in slavery. God had done it all. Amen. But even though all the credit for their salvation belonged to God, the Israelites did play a role in their salvation. They had faith that what God had told them was true, and they did what God told them to do. They took the blood, they put it on the posts and on the lintels. And I don't doubt for one moment that there would have been some Israelite families that perhaps would have said, we don't do that around here. I may have to come out in the morning and clean that. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to leave it. And there perhaps would have been, we don't know, but perhaps there would have been a few Israelite homes where that destroyer came in and their firstborn was destroyed. Because they didn't have the faith to be obedient to what God had done. What ultimately turned the destroyer away was not that God had promised salvation, but that Israel had embraced it and by faith went away as the Lord commanded Moses and Israel and put the blood on the doorposts. The great truth that we first learn from studying the Old Testament Passover is that deliverance from God's judgment only comes through applying the blood. Nothing else is sufficient and nothing else is required, amen. And since that first Passover, Jews have celebrated their national deliverance from Egypt. And they, they, they would do it during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And until the temple was destroyed in AD 70, these festivals that they would have, they would include the sacrifice of a lamb that was without blemish on the very first evening of the feast. And when the first Israelites sacrificed their lambs to secure deliverance, their descendants later sacrificed it to commemorate it. And yet neither of them knew that the actions that they were taking in their sacrifice of the lamb was foreshadowing something that was far greater and something that applies to you and to me today. Amen. They were foreshadowing a time when deliverance from the slavery of sin would come and deliverance from God's final judgment on sin that is available to all people through the sacrifice of the Son of God. Amen? We know that the Passover foreshadowed Jesus' ministry because Jesus is directly connected with the language of Passover. As a matter of fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Let's have a look at this. All right, who took 1 Corinthians out of my Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at the language that Paul is using here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
Paul is using the language of Passover. They would eat unleavened bread. And Paul called Christ our Passover lamb. Amen. And so today we celebrate the Passover as well. Not celebrating a time to remember when the Israelites were delivered from slavery from the Egyptians, but to spiritually celebrate a time when there was a greater exodus, the exodus that we had from slavery, the exodus we have from sin, amen, where God delivered us from sin and we are no longer slaves to sin, amen. And it's also a celebration that we are going to be saved from God's final judgment and it is through the blood that was shed on Calvary for you and for me, amen. Passover is just one of the sacrifices that foreshadowed the final perfect sacrifice of Jesus to save us from our sins. All of the sacrifices in the Mosaic law, all of them pointed towards Jesus and said, this is a shadow of what is to come. This is the ultimate sacrifice. This sacrifice here is to get you out of Egypt. This sacrifice is to push on your sins for another year, amen. But the sacrifice it was pointing to was a day when the Lamb of God would come, slain from the foundation of the world, and would die on a cross, shedding His blood for you and for me. Amen? Amen. You know, the Old Testament sacrifices were expressions of God's grace that were given to maintain relationship with His people, but as mere shadows of better things to come, they were in themselves inadequate. You see, the sacrifices of the Old Testament never provided redemption from sins. All they ever did was provide a ceremonial cleansing so that God's people could worship Him again. But the sins were never forgiven. They were just pushed on until the Day of Atonement. And when the Day of Atonement would roll around, another lamb would have to be sacrificed. As it were, buying time until such time, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God would come to once and for all clear the debt of sin. Amen. The Old Testament sacrifices were necessary to maintain that relationship with God, but they cannot compare to the power and the effect of Christ's blood in the new covenant that you and I live in. Amen. I read it. It was our main scripture, Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify through the purifying of the flesh, how much more? shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, here is the fundamental inadequacy of the Old Testament sacrifices. They could not purge sin. They could not clear a person's conscience. They could not remove the debt forever. They did not truly bring about forgiveness, and they did not have the power to deliver from sin. But they did foreshadow a greater sacrifice that was going to forgive and deliver not just God's chosen people, but all of mankind. Amen. Makes me want to say thank God for the blood. Amen. Amen. See, here's the thing. 
just as the Israelites had to apply the blood of a lamb to their homes to escape judgment, we must apply the blood of the Lamb of God to our lives to be free from slavery and to escape God's final judgment. Christ's shed blood and our faith in Him alone provide the way for us to be saved. Nothing else is sufficient. No other blood will do. Nothing else is required. What does it mean to apply the blood to our lives? The Israelites literally took a bunch of hyssop and put blood on their doorposts. We, of course, do not physically apply Christ's blood, but we spiritually apply the blood of Christ to our life through faith. Applying the blood is, if you like, is a a metaphor for relying on Jesus Christ and His sacrifice to save us. It is to personally appropriate, to take for ourselves what Christ has accomplished on the cross. It is to enter into and to continue in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lamb. Amen? How do we do that? How do we do that? We hear the good news, John 3.16, many of us could quote it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in response, we place our faith entirely in God's Son. We absolutely trust in and rely upon Jesus as our sole means of salvation. We recognize that the Bible teaches us in Romans that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, you look, you look around, all of us have sinned. There's nobody here that's perfect. There's nobody here who's got it all worked out, who's somehow better than everybody else. None of us are on another level. We're all the same. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And so, Our job as we come to Jesus is to turn from our pitiful attempts to make ourselves right in God's sight and we turn to Christ instead in faith and we turn to the cross in faith and it is a faith that is expressed when we repent of our sins, when we are baptized and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, amen. Like the Israelites had to paint the paint, paint the paint, paint the blood on the walls. We express our faith in the same way when we come to the altar and we repent of our sins, when we are baptized and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? At the foot of the cross is where we bow, giving thanks for the blood that alone can save us. At the foot of cross, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith. That word, propitiation, it means to pay the price for. It's a price paid on behalf. Amen. You and I had a debt that we cannot pay. We can never pay. We can't work our way out of it. We can't provide enough good works. We can't serve at the church enough for God to say, you know what, you're righteous enough. Our job is to come to the cross and to say, Lord, your sacrifice is sufficient for me. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to express my faith in obedience to your word. I'm going to live my life as a living sacrifice. Amen. He was the price that was paid for us. And it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 that we are justified. How? By His blood. And we shall be saved 
from wrath through him. Amen. Being convinced that only applying the blood that saves us, this is grace through faith and that not of ourselves. If it were not for the blood that was shed for you and me, we would have no access to God. There is just no way it could happen. Because of that, Romans 5.11 tells us that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. He's talking about the sacrifice, the blood that was shed for you and for me. Amen? And so as we turn to Romans chapter 12, In verse 1, understanding what we understand about the blood, understanding that we haven't earned it and yet it's given freely for us, understanding that we can respond to God's offer of salvation for the world, understanding that through faith we can apply the blood of Christ to our life. What is our response as believers? Here it is. I beseech you therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. You know, the enemy would try and convince you that living your life as a sacrifice to God is a waste. He will try and convince you about all the wonderful things you're going to have to give up if you sacrifice your life for God. He is going to try and tell you that the cost that Jesus wants from you is too great a price to pay. And if you just take the easy road, then you can enjoy a good life. But the truth of the matter is, is that the price that Jesus paid for us is beyond compare. The Bible calls it the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot in 1 Peter. And to live our life as a living sacrifice, the Bible calls it a reasonable service. It's not something for me that is over the top. It's not something that I feel is a burden. The things that I have to give up and the things that you might have to give up to serve God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your strength, they are trifles compared to what God offers you. They are nothing compared to what God offers you. Amen. God offers you a relationship with Him that was purchased, secured, provided for a precious Lamb of God. And the devil tries to convince you that if we sacrifice our life for God, somehow we might miss out on so many great things that the world has to offer. But that's not the way of a disciple. That's not the way we are to live our lives. Jesus taught his disciples that we are to take up our cross and follow him. We are to live a life of sacrifice. He says this as well. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I wonder what would happen in your life 
And I wonder what would happen in my life if we could understand that to sacrifice our life for the purpose of God is the greatest thing we could ever do in this life and in the life to come. I wonder what would happen if we would buy into that for just a moment. If we would manage to wrap our minds around the fact that what Jesus has done for us is worthy of every single effort we exert to live for God. It's worth every single prayer we pray. It's worth every single Bible verse that we read or memorize. It's worth every single slight discomfort we might have in this life to be able to serve God. Amen. Because the price he paid is worth it and when my life is done and every sacrifice has ever been added up and every circumstance that I have endured because of my choice to live for God and every problem is tallied up at the end of the day and I breathe my last I still will not have even come close to matching the value that God placed on my life when he gave his life for me and that is applicable to every single one of us. It doesn't matter how long we live for God, how much we sacrifice. We can sacrifice more. We can give more. We can live harder for God. We can make Him our priority more. We can separate the gap between Jesus and the things of this world even more. We can surrender our life even more because it is worth it. Because of His blood that was shed for you and for me. It is finding our lives in Christ that we discover what it means to have fullness of joy in His presence and pleasures forevermore at His right hand. Psalm 16 verse 11. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, nothing compares to a relationship with God. Nothing on this earth comes close to the experience you can have in the presence of Jesus. There is no nightclub that offers anything close to what Jesus offers you. There is no drug that will take you higher than what Jesus has for your life. Amen. There is no habit. There is no addiction. There is no amount of money. There is nothing on the internet that will ever come close to satisfying the longing in your heart that comes from a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Jesus is all. Jesus is everything. Jesus is the only thing worth living for. And we ought to be a living sacrifice. Amen. And that's just our reasonable service. I want to finish up in the book of Matthew. There's an interesting par parable here. Matthew chapter 22. And I I'm not sure if this has ever jumped out at you before, but I want to read it to you. Matthew 22, verse 1. Say amen when you're there. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen 
My fatlings are killed. All things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Or in other words, everything is ready. All you have to do is come. Listen to the response. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. The king has invited them to a wedding where all they had to do was show up and they didn't come. There were so many other things that were more important to them than being with the king. When the king heard, therefore, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. You get that? Both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. All sorts ended up at this wedding feast. Because the people who were originally invited couldn't be bothered to show up. And so the king brought in everybody else. The people who had no idea what was going on. Someone just said, hey, there's a free feast, come along. And the Bible tells us that good and bad people were there. And the hall was filled with guests. Perhaps there was music playing, the clank of cutlery on plates as they were enjoying the feast. They were having a marvelous time and the king was watching. But then he saw something that displeased him. Verse 11, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how comest thou in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called but few are chosen. What stood this guest out from anybody else was not the fact of whether he was good or bad, because there were good and bad people there, the Bible tells us. What stood him out was not the fact that he was in the wrong place. He was in the right place. Amen? The fact that stood him out was not that he wasn't eating or drinking. He was joining in with the activities of everybody else. But I got to thinking, why would this guy even have a wedding garment if he wasn't one of the ones that were originally invited? Here's what happened. Everybody who the king invited was given some clothes to wear, a wedding garment to wear by the king. And this man, for whatever reason, looked at what the king was offering in his garments and said, you know what? I'm pretty good like this. And when the king stood there and saw that this man had not accepted the wedding garment, he no longer fit in. Amen? 
He had been invited. He had come to the right place. But he was not allowed to stay because he did not rely on what the king had given him to allow him to be in that place. Jesus concluded with, For many are called, but few are chosen. And as we celebrate our Passover, the salvation that we have because of the Lord's sacrifice on Calvary, amen, we await the coming of the Lamb of God. And the Bible tells us that we are going to be glad and we are going to rejoice and we're going to give honor to Him. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb is come. There is going to be another marriage supper. And Christ promised His apostles that when they celebrated the last Passover, all believers would joyfully drink of the fruit of the vine in the Father's kingdom in that day. And what a feast day that will be. What a celebration that will be. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for the trumpet to sound. I can't wait to get home to be with Jesus. I can't wait to make it to heaven. But when that happens, the only way we are ever going to be allowed in is if we rely on what the King has given us. And that is salvation that was purchased through His blood. You cannot be Christian enough to make it to heaven on your own abilities. You cannot pray enough to make it to heaven on your own prayers. You can't give enough to make it to heaven. You can't be righteous enough to make it to heaven. What you can do is be obedient to God's Word and say, I am going to rely on the blood of Jesus Christ. I am going to apply it to my life. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to get myself baptized. I'm going to seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to be relying on what the King has provided for me. And then, oh, what a day that will be. Amen. What a day that will be. When our Jesus, we will see. Why don't we all stand this morning? You know, on that first Passover night, you couldn't just pick some random house to be in. You know, when I was growing up in the Solomon Islands, Saturday was my favorite day. Why was it my favorite day? Because I would leave the house at 6 a.m., and I wouldn't be home until Dad was hollering from the neighborhood that it was dinner time. I would spend all day out. I would be in this person's house and this friend's house, and I'd eat lunch over in that person's house. I was just all around the neighborhood. I was never home on Saturdays. I was out playing all day long. But when dinner time came, there was only one place that would provide sustenance. And when night time fell, there was only one place that was safe for me to sleep in. And that was my home. I couldn't just sleep out in anyone else's house. I couldn't just sleep out in the street. But at some point, I had to make it back to my house to get fed and to have somewhere to stay. So too with the Israelites. It had to be a certain type of house. It had to be a house that had the blood on the doorposts. Because if it didn't have the blood, it didn't matter what kind of house it was. It could be Pharaoh's palace, but it still wasn't good enough. You know, and, and I don't know what condition your house is in, your spiritual life is in, but you know what? That doesn't matter so much because the Bible says the good and the bad came to the feast, amen? What matters is have you applied the blood? What matters is does your house have blood on it? 
What matters is, are you living your life in obedience to God's Word? Because if you can do that and say, yes, I am, then let God work out the other things. You just focus on living your life as a living sacrifice to God. God, I want my life right with you, and I want to keep it right with you. I don't want to sway to the right. I don't want to sway to the left. But I want my life to be a living sacrifice. Praise you, Jesus. Why don't we just bow our heads? Feel God's presence here right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, precious Jesus. Lord, I pray right now for the people in this building, Lord Jesus. Lord, people from all walks of life, Lord, all kind of backgrounds, Lord Jesus, all kind of stories, Lord God, and all the different areas of their relationship with God, Lord Jesus. But Lord, today, God, you have put us all on one level playing field, Lord God. We are all in need of your sacrifice, Lord God. There is not one person here that is better than anybody else, Lord Jesus. We need your blood applied to our life, Lord God. Father, I pray for the people that are listening right now, Lord God, that deep within their hearts, Lord Jesus, Jesus, this would be the missing piece that they have in their life. This would be the part that they need, Lord God. The things that are keeping them awake at nighttime, Lord. That gnawing feeling of everything not quite being right, Lord Jesus. Help them, Lord, I pray, to know that the answer is in a relationship with you, Lord God. In a relationship, Lord, that is covered by the blood of the sacrifice that you paid for us, Lord God. Lord, you loved this world so much. You gave your only begotten Son, Lord God. But Lord, Lord, we have to step out from among them. We have to be a living sacrifice, Lord. We have to appropriate it by faith, Lord. We have to live our life in obedience to your word, Lord God. Get a hold of our hearts, Lord Jesus. Help us to stop playing around with the things of God, Lord Jesus. Help us to treat it seriously, Lord God, and to know that you're coming back, Lord Jesus, for a church, Lord, that's covered by your blood, Lord, spotless, And without wrinkle, Lord God, we're not perfect, Lord, but we rely on your blood, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, praise you, Lord. Praise you. Let's just worship the Lord for a couple minutes. Hallelujah, 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 Lord. We magnify you. We praise you, Jesus. We lift your name on high, Lord God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We exalt you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Turn to the person next to you. Say, thank God for the blood. Amen.